Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by a fellow co-host, Joe Wolfond. What up? And through Skype in an undisclosed location that is not in Toronto, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? Can we reveal your location or no? Is that is that secret? Yeah, I'm in Houston doing some work for the Score X, which people will hopefully see later this season. Okay, <laughs> that'll be interesting. We should look out for that. But uh, right now, everyone's minds are on the NBA trade deadline, which just came and passed. Uh, very active trade deadline, um, not just like at the deadline itself, but a flurry of activity last night. Um, and also, you know, even before that with Chris Tapps getting moved. But, uh, you know, the, the trade deadline came and went. Now um, we can sort of break it down. We're going to break it down in terms of winners and losers. We'll start with the winners. We'll start positively. A lot of the winners in the Eastern Conference, no LeBron means everyone is going for it. Everyone, everyone except for the Celtics. The Celtics looks like they're just kind of happy where they are. But um, let's talk about the Bucks, who made the first major deal of the day um, trading for Nikola Meritic in a three-way trade involving the Pelicans and the Pistons. It doesn't even matter what happened with the uh, Pistons and uh, Pelicans, but realistically, Nikola Meritic on the Bucks. How much? How big of a difference is this for Milwaukee? Because the way I look at it, I think he's a perfect fit for their team. Yeah, I think um, you know when the trade first went down yesterday, and it was like Thon Maker for Stanley Johnson. Um, you know, the only thing they were giving up, I guess, was kind of a stretch five in Thon that they didn't really play that much anyway, but. Like the upgrade from Thon Maker to Nikola Miritic is so vast. Um, Miritic is a, not just a stretch big man. Like he he's just a really good offensive player, and his numbers this year when he's been in the lineup are uh, really since he got to New Orleans last year have kind of proven that he's still young-ish. Like I, he fits the Bucks in a lot of ways, and it's just more um dependable shooting and spacing around Giannis and yeah uh, you know the best team in the league by record just got better and it's just crazy because the Bucks have already gotten so far on I mean they have a lot of talent but the fit of that roster has been so vital in terms of propelling them to the heights that they are at right now um and I wrote a piece about this a couple of days ago just about how I think that you could make an argument that the other top four teams in the east on balance maybe even have a little bit more talent than milwaukee does but milwaukee just optimizes their talent in such a way that um allows them to be you know like the best team in the nba because there's so little overlap with that roster all the talent complements itself so well and they get a guy in miritich who does you know exactly what they need from a big man he he can stretch the floor yes but he can also put the ball on the floor uh, he's fairly mobile, and so I think, you know, if, say, Brooke Lopez gets schemed out in a playoff series, Miritich is a guy who, like, he can bang. He can play the five in downsized lineups, um, and, like, if you look at what he's done in New Orleans the past couple of seasons, when him and Davis have been on the floor together, the Pelicans have been unbelievable. You know, they can run a lot of two double-screen actions where Miritich is popping and Giannis is rolling to the rim, like, they have so many options with him and it's just like another instance of them finding a guy who pit, who fits their scheme perfectly um and is going to you know be optimized himself while also helping to optimize the talent around him and that is the philosophy that the bucks have built their team around this season and uh th- this just makes them that much better yeah i also feel like you know now you have 48 minutes of playing this type of style right like you don't really know we're gonna get out of DJ Wilson. Like you know, I've slandered DJ Wilson on on the previous podcast, but I mean honestly, he's actually come on quite strong recently, had some positive performances. But like realistically, this is a very inexperienced player. You want to bring in a guy like Meritich, who last year's in during the playoffs, he was really really good, 15 points a game, shooting 43 percent from the field in a starting capacity. Um, and you know now you have Meritich off the bench, and you now have another scorer off the bench as well. Like. Miritich is basically giving the Bucks everything they wanted to get out of Ursa and Ilyasova. I just don't think Ilyasova has it anymore. He's really declined this year. Um, and, yeah, I think this completely fits their philosophy. I think the Bucks, and also, like, look, they didn't have to give up a first-round pick. Four second-round picks and Thon Maker, who was already, like, not happy with the situation. Like, that's a really reasonable price to pay if you're the Bucks. And quite honestly, like, you know, this is this is, I think this move probably – push the Raptors who I guess we'll talk about next to make their move because the Raptors about you know, I don't know half an hour after the Bucks traded for Miritich 
made their not a necessarily all-in move but a really significant move trading for Mark Gasol and I feel like maybe out of all the moves at the trade deadline especially today on deadline day that one's probably the one that was most shocking and I think might become most impactful um Wolfon, what, what do you think of this move in the first place like I think you and I disagree a little bit in terms of how much the Raptors gave up to get a guy like Gasol I don't love it um I like it because uh I do think that Gasol is going to help diversify their offense a little bit, which I think is something that they need. And I think, you know, look, Gasol to me is slower than Valanchunas at this point in his career. Uh, But like you were saying, which I agree with, like his defensive IQ can make up for a lot. And his positioning and pick and roll, like his post defense, like he's still an impactful defender despite the fact that he doesn't really have the mobility that he he used to have. Um, I, I just think... You know, if you look at, he's 34 years old. He's got this $26 million player option for next season, which I would expect him to exercise. Yeah, that's a concern. Um, And, you know, even if you could say, like, I think Gasol is probably marginally better than Valanchunas right now on the whole. I think there's a pretty good case to be made that Valanchunas will be better than Gasol next season. Obviously, the Raptors are all in on this season, so maybe that doesn't matter as much. But I also really like DeLon Wright, who I think... You know, the Raptors need to pick up another ball handler because they, oh, yeah, just, they, they do not have enough uh, offensive creators. Uh, DeLon Wright was one of the few of those guys. And, you know, we've seen, I think, a lot of this season when they run their offense through Fred Van Vliet, uh, they don't have a ton of success. Like, he hasn't been really um, good at, like, orchestrating the pick and roll. And he's obviously, you know, much better as an off-ball guy. So I'm not nuts about this move, but I think it's a worthwhile gambit regardless. Um but I don't know if that really puts them into the Buck stratosphere. And I also don't think it was like a reactionary move because we've been hearing rumblings about Raptors and Grizzlies trade talks all week long. Right. And I think this was probably in the works long before it was consummated. I don't think it was necessarily a reaction to what the Bucks did. But if we're talking about which team upgraded their roster more, I think the Bucks did. Cash, let me, let me hear your thoughts on this all. Uh, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer for the Raptors. I think um, even as a shell of his former self, like defensive player of the year self, I just think um, Gasol looked pretty good defensively early this year before he seemed to lose interest in what was another lost Grizzly season. I think the defensive improvement from JV to Gasol is is pretty vast. And I just think even though Valanciunas – is probably like a, you know a more dependable inside finisher i guess at this stage of their career i just think Gasol is a better all-around offensive player specific specifically like what joe was saying with the way he can help diversify their offense you know i'm envisioning pascal Siakam cutting off those like classic gasol paint uh, elbow touches and assists someone tweeted it out i can't remember who it was now but gasol's number one in the nba in elbow touches and assists like what like five or six years in a row the Raptors are 28th in elbow assists, and even just like uh, I think only two guys in the league pass the ball more per game than Gasol does. Jokic is one of them. Like the ball movement, the IQ, the way he sees the floor, all of it, and then you add the fact that he can also shoot from the five position. Like I, I just think this is a no-brainer for the Raptors, even if you end up having to pay him next year when the team is kind of in like a, a pivot mode. Um, Delon Wright was going to be an RFA, and I. As much as I like him, I think he was very frustratingly inconsistent, and I'm not sure the Raptors were sold on paying whatever it was going to cost to keep him. C.J. Miles is, you know, a shooting specialist that was shooting 31% from deep, a second-round pick. JV's obviously the best player they gave up, but I, I just think even at 34, however old he is, Marcus Gasol is so much better than anyone else in this deal. And for a team that honestly doesn't care about next year, I, I think this was a no-brainer. Yeah, I think, um, well, I mean, two things with Gasol. I think one, I think the reason I said this is in response to the Bucks is I think because if you get a guy like Gasol, I think you're looking specifically at the Bucks, right? Like the Raptors realistically could have made a trade to upgrade their point guard defense if they're looking at, you know, Boston as their biggest opponent, right? Because Kyrie has just completely roasted them all year and they don't really have a solution for Kyrie. Or you could try to address the Bucks situation. And the Bucks situation is simply that the Bucks are really good on defense when they're able to collapse the paint. However, as a con- like a, as a price, as a consequence of collapsing the paint, they always leave the perimeter wide open, especially above the break threes. And so if you can have a guy who can pick and pop, 
which is what Gasol does best nowadays. Because inside, like you guys mentioned, he's not actually that good anymore. Um, and maybe, quite honestly, he maybe was never that good finishing inside. But just as a pick-and-pop guy, he's always been really good. Um, that's the one area where the Bucks can be vulnerable. And that's where they are vulnerable. You see, The Raptors have already known that because Serge Ibaka has had a couple of great games. And every time Serge Ibaka has a great game, that's because people are leaving him wide open for pick-and-pop jumpers. Gasol's at next level. Like, you now have, between Serge and Marc Gasol, you have 48 minutes of stretch fives. And that's really the only way to beat the Bucs. And I think if you're going to go against the Bucs and you really anticipate that the Bucs are the biggest opponent for the Raptors, who and the Bucs, look, the Bucs just came into Toronto, like, last week um, and dusted the Raptors, like, easily, right? Now, no, there was no JV in that game, so, you know, whatever. But um, that was still, I think, a statement win for the Bucs. The Bucs have won the season series 3-1. And the Raptors are looking at the Bucs as their biggest opponent. They needed to get a guy like Gasol. And then the other thing with Gasol is really, like, like even if he picks up his option next year, like... I think you could still move. You could still move Gasol. Like it's not like he's going to be a negative asset necessarily. Like twenty six million dollars of an expiring Gasol, I, unless he's injured, I don't really see too much of a difficulty moving him for at least neutral value. So um, I, I think this makes sense. A lot of sense for the Raptors. And it, looking ahead to the the rest of the roster, the only other concern I have for the Raptors right now is that they have ten guys on the books. Like they need to really fill out their rotation. And um, I don't know. We can talk about sort of individual names later, but uh, that that is sort of the concern with the Raptors. Um, 76ers also made some very, very big moves in the uh, uh, Eastern Conference here. Tobias Harris, uh, they acquired him and Mike Scott and also Boban Marjanovic in exchange for two firsts and some expiring contracts. And then they went out and got Tyler, or not Tyler Ennis, uh, James Ennis for free, and Jonathan Simmons. Uh, along with a protective first-round pick for Markel Fultz. There's a lot to talk about there. Let's start with Harris. Um, Wolfon, how much does Harris make the Sixers better, or do you feel like this is a case where there's too many finishers and not enough people passing the ball? Um, okay, so I've, the Sixers, I think, are like a really interesting point of comparison when we're talking about the Bucks, right? Because mm-hmm. the Sixers have loads of talent, and a lot of that talent overlaps and so there are kind of like diminishing returns, I think. And Tobias Harris makes them better, but he doesn't make them as better as... <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like, they're not basically getting the full breadth of Tobias Harris's abilities. Like, they can use him in a lot of ways that are going to help them. Right. They, I think, needed more shooting. Like, he is a wonderful shooter. You know, over 60% true shooting this year like borderline 50 40 90 guy but also you know a lot of the time i think he's just going to be used as a spot up guy and that detracts from a lot of the ball skills that he has he's also a really good shooter off of the dribble like he is a guy who can create his own shot and create for others a little bit and you know so relegating him to spot up duty is you know not necessarily the best use of his skills and that doesn't really matter because all the Sixers are trying to do is just like win right now. Right. Um, so however they use him, like they can stick him in any role and he'll help, you know, he's a huge upgrade on Wilson Chandler. Yeah, they can definitely. also, they can also stagger their guys so that he's running with bench units and that will allow him to like run a bit more pick and roll. And the Sixers um, are really good at staggering. Like Brett Brown loves. Staggering right. And lineups. now they're, you know, they, they're in a position where basically they can have two of Harris, Reddick, Butler, Simmons, and Bede on the floor at all times. Right. Which is deadly. Um, and they can mix and match those combinations in, like, I think, really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, th- those four guys, when they played together, Reddick, Butler, uh, Simmons, and Bede, were uh, plus 13 net rating already. You know, so I think adding Harris to that mix is only going to help. And there's no hiding spot for any defender with that starting five right like you can't hide anybody yeah i mean you're still helping off simmons but i think you're helping off simmons but you can't hide a weak defender on simmons yeah exactly he's still going to punish people down low so um i I think that makes them really dangerous and and really interesting um i think it's more just like long term when you start to maybe worry about how this trade is going to play out for them because they go into this summer with both harris and butler as unrestricted free agents Given what they gave up to get both of those guys, they're certainly going to feel compelled, I think, to pay up to keep them. And then, you know, it's like if you're paying Tobias Harris a max contract, then that's when I would start to worry about, well, you know, Tobias Harris isn't necessarily worth as much to Philadelphia as he would be to another team. 
they, they could almost like if you think about what they had in Robert Covington, a guy who could just reliably knock down spot up threes and defend the hell out of the perimeter. That that kind of player is almost more valuable to them than Tobias Harris is. So does it make sense to pay a max contract to Harris? I, I don't really know. Uh, and then, you know, you start to maybe worry about did they give up too much to get him? But I think for now, they definitely got a lot better. And offensively, I think they're going to be really hard to guard. Cash? Yeah, they look, they gave up a lot, man. They, you know, the team that was all about the process for what seemed like forever mortgaged a little bit of their future, a good chunk of their future to to go what seems like all in this year. I actually think Harris would be like the perfect fit if Jimmy Butler wasn't there. I think he, like, the things he can do offensively, I think make up for some of Ben Simmons' limitations. And I think like a Simmons, Harris, Embiid um, guard, wing slash big, big trio is really, really encouraging offensively. But for now, with Butler in the fold, I just, I mean, you already talked about how insane that starting lineup is. They're starting three or four elite offensive players and three elite defensive players. Like that starting lineup can literally play with anyone in the league. And, you know, they wouldn't beat the Warriors four to seven, but they can play with it. Like, that's how good that starting lineup is. Their depth is still an issue, but I I just think they've put themselves in a position. You know, they went from Tuesday night, you know, very clearly looking like, once again, not good enough to contend with the true East contenders, whether that's Toronto, Milwaukee, or Boston. And in one move, to me, um, can now argue they have more top-end talent than any of those teams. So... I don't know. I get it from their perspective. I also think it's a little easier to go all in and mortgage, you know, a good chunk of your future when you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, because say what you will about the fit. A lot of franchises would kill to have those two guys in the plans going forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, lost amid sort of all the Harris talk is the fact that they kind of pulled the plug on Markel Fultz. They very quietly slipped him in, but they got back Jonathan Simmons, who is having a really miserable season. I think he could turn it around a little bit, and he could be a depth piece for the Sixers, who you know also got Boban and Mike Scott, who I think those guys can be useful um, bench guys as well. But um, yeah, I mean, ultimately they got to protect it first, which is not even like likely to convey this year. And then after that, it turns into two second round picks. Like, I mean, I guess at some point you have to decide. Like, look, Fultz is just not uh, able to sort of perform to the abilities that uh, it was promised. Um, in Philadelphia, maybe he needs to see, change the scenery and you just got to get whatever you can for him. But to go from you have the third pick and then you trade it a future pick plus, um, you know, plus their own pick to uh, to move up number one to get Fultz. And then this whole sort of saga goes on and then it just ends with this. Like, I don't know. Was this inevitable? Like, was it always going to end like this? Like, because to me, it just feels like this is – I just feel bad for Fultz. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel bad for him given – everything that's transpired since he got drafted, but I don't feel bad for him getting traded. I think this is actually like a really good opportunity for him to yeah. get a fresh start on a team that desperately needs a point guard, I, oh, you yeah, know, and, sure. and, and a long-term solution at that position. So he's going to have every opportunity to make that work. I think this is a good situation for him to go to and like a, a, a place where there's not going to be a ton of pressure on him either. You know, this team yeah, is basically true. committed to a rebuild. I know, you know, they flirted with a playoff spot for a while, and they did keep Vucevic at the deadline, which maybe means they're more committed to winning in the short term than we might have otherwise thought. But th I think they're going to give him time. You know, they can afford to be patient with him, and, and I think that makes it a, a good situation for him. So in that sense, it's good. But, I mean, obviously in the sense that this guy was picked first overall, and, yeah, the Sixers not only, you know, traded up to get him, traded their own pick, traded – uh, the pick that they had from Sacramento in order to get him. But, you know, there's like the opportunity cost of passing on Jason Tatum and De'Aaron Fox. Uh, so there was a lot riding on his shoulders in the beginning. Um, and look, I, I just think it wasn't going to happen for him in Philadelphia. I think that became clear. This is this is a chance for him to start over. Yeah, and I think, look, obviously, if we're going to talk about hindsight, then yeah, it doesn't look great. You, as, as you guys mentioned, you know, you turned that number three pick and, you know, was probably going to be the Kings pick this year um, into the number one pick. You take Fultz and then less than two years later, you turn that into Jonathan Simmons and, and a couple picks. Like it's, it's not great. Mm -hmm. um, but the other way that I look at it is if you want to just look at it as like right now and what Fultz is and forget, you know, what the Sixers had invested in him to this point, Markel Fultz is, 
kind of a head case who's only played in 33 games over the last two years. He's an enigma. There's little evidence to suggest he's ever going to be an NBA difference maker. And yet the Sixers still turn him into a couple of picks. So, like, I, I think you can look at it two ways. It's very um, easy to get caught up in the past. But based on what we know of Markel Fultz right now, turning him into anything of value in the NBA is a win. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is probably more than what Anthony Bennett got back. Which is honestly the last time a first round, a number one pick was. Like, what do you mean? Anthony Bennett, Anthony Bennett returned Kevin Love. He was salary filler because Andrew Wiggins' contract <laughs> wasn't enough. Like, he literally was just an extra salary added in there. But, um, well, okay. So, yeah. I, I was surprised actually that the Sixers couldn't get Terrence Ross in this deal. I think he would have helped yeah. them a lot more than Jonathan Simmons will. Um, but it, it's just crazy. I mean, they, they drafted him first overall like less than two years ago. Yeah. It, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me. I think, honestly, part of it for the Sixers is probably, like, they just don't want to deal with, like, the distraction that comes around it. You know what I mean? And I think maybe that was a plus on their, in, in their favor as well. But, yeah, it's just – look, I think we're, we all agree that we're all pulling for Fultz to get his career right because you, you never want to see a guy get to this point in his life where he's the number one pick and then not be able to perform for one reason or the other. That's just unfortunate. Um, the Mavericks, we have them as a winner as well, but we covered the Mavericks sort of to a, a large extent um, on the last podcast after Porzingis was traded. So um, you could refer to that one. Let's move on to the Celtics, who are definitely a winner because even though they didn't make any moves, even though the rest of the East got better, Anthony Davis didn't get traded. And all, all of a sudden, um, after all of Danny Ainge's promises that, oh man, you could get Jason Tatum in the offseason, you can get Jalen Brown in the offseason, you can get some of these picks. Um, it worked. Anthony Davis didn't get traded. And, um, yeah, they have a real chance to get Anthony Davis, which I think really would help their chances of retaining Kyrie Irving as well. Um, they seem like a combo package, at least if they're going to stay in Boston. And, um, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be thrilled as a Celtics fan. Yeah. The Celtics, um, you know, they've held the Trump card this whole time in, in Tatum and all, and that boatload of picks and, you know, Anthony Davis can say what he wants about not wanting to go there. If the Celtics make that offer and the Pelicans, you know, don't think they can get anything better, and they probably can't. And guess what, Anthony Davis, for at least one year, you're going to Boston, buddy. Um, so, yeah, to me, they're a winner, even though they – I think they've fallen behind the pack in terms of the East this year. And then, obviously, if things do um, hit the fan there and Kyrie leaves and there's no reason to get – like, there's, there's obviously a doomsday scenario where standing pat again looks terrible in hindsight, but – it was smart of them to wait it out until the summer when they can join the AD mix. And Hey, if they can land AD and that convinces Kyrie to stay and then Kyrie staying ends up keeping it like, obviously they will be well positioned for years to come. So I think as disappointing as some, as disappointing as the deadline was for some Celtics fans, like you have to see the prudence in it. I mean, what other moves did they really have to make? Like, I, I understand like the rest of the teams in the East kind of made upgrades, but did the Celtics have have that kind of a move in their pocket? I think no. I mean, they've it, they've kind of turned it around recently. Like, they've they've been, played really well. They've been playing really well, and I think I, I would still put them in that mix. Like I think right now the Bucks are a cut above, but I still put the Celtics right there with the Raptors and Sixers in that next tier. And I don't know that there's a ton of separation between those teams. I think it's fine for the Celtics to keep their powder dry, you know, in expectation of making this Anthony Davis trade in the off season. Um, and I, you know, honestly, like if they pull that trade off and Kyrie sticks around, like I don't even really think they have to care too much about how the rest of the season plays out for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I take exception to that. I think we've learned too many times, like whatever team you want to use as an example, 2012 Thunder, like whatever it is. I think any time you're like good enough to maybe not win a championship, but even to get to the finals, like. I just don't think a team that good can afford to look at it like, well, the rest of this season doesn't matter because it's all about, um, I'm, you know, I'm, keep No, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but I think there's less urgency for them than there yeah. is for, like, the three other teams that we've been talking about. You know what I mean? Like, well, For sure. Um, you know, if they feel like they basically have Anthony Davis in their pocket and they can sell that to Kyrie and, be, you know, even if they lose in the second round, mm -hmm. you'd be like look, you know, we could have traded one of these guys to make an upgrade at the deadline, but we kept them around because we knew we were going to be able to make this AD trade. Like, I think, um, 
that's a pretty strong selling point. And, and, and ultimately, you know, they're going to have those guys locked up presumably for another five years. Um, I mean, assuming I guess AD wants to stick around and doesn't follow through on his pledge to just leave at the first opportunity because he apparently doesn't want to play in Boston. I mean, I think uh, they can convince themselves that, look, we have these guys long-term. They're squarely in their primes. Um, this season isn't as important to them as it is for, say, the Raptors or the Sixers. Yeah. Um, another winner from this trade deadline, also tangentially related to Anthony Davis, is the Los Angeles Clippers, who um, – you know, they got worse and they became sellers, although not full-scale teardown or anything like that, but they did get a little bit worse. Uh, they obviously traded Harris. But what they did manage to do is set the table for this summer. They have about $60 million in cap space. They got four picks. They got that Miami unprotected 2021 pick, which is going to be a really good um, asset because I think that's the year the NBA is going to take out the um, – or at least that's rumored that that's the year the NBA is going to, you know, ditch the one-and-done thing and just allow high school – prospects to go in so that that's gonna be a very promising draft um they add Zubac randomly which was strange and even a guy like Shamit who I think is proven to be useful in, in Philadelphia as a rookie so far um but the Clippers have all this flexibility and they realistically have you know announced themselves as a target place and look if you're going back to the Anthony Davis thing the Clippers were on that list of where he will reportedly want to go and if you're the Clippers you can get Anthony Davis you can get another guy then all of a sudden you're you're cooking yeah, like this is a team that, you know, best case scenario for them this season, they got the eight seed, seven seed, whatever it is. They're not winning a round. Like the ceiling on this team was very clear because they didn't have that kind of top tier talent as good as Tobias Harris was. Um, they're in LA. Steve Ballmer doesn't care about selling a couple ex like home playoff games. He doesn't need the money. Um, the Clippers are in LA, so as a market, they don't need to necessarily like sell some history of success to free agents. But what they do now have, as you mentioned, like they've almost got enough space for two max salary free agents. And even if you're talking about like an Anthony Davis trade, they all of a sudden can put a package together, like including Shea Gilgis Alexander, Montrez Harrell, Ivica uh, Zubac. Landry Shamit, who you mentioned, is like having a nice year as a rookie, plus all these picks, which includes that unprotected Miami pick in 2021. Like the Clippers, in the span of a few days, all of a sudden now can put together one of the more intriguing packages, whether it's for Davis or another disgruntled star, and then go spend in free agency. Like this team is very scary. Do you guys expect them to make a strong play for AD at this point? Why not? I. That, yeah. I expect him to make a play for every single free, major free agent out there. Um, obviously, Kawhi's been the no. I don't. I, I mean, while, I mean, like to to try and trade for him. Yeah, I yeah. do because the way I see it is that he, you know, other than maybe I guess Kawhi and KD, he's better than any other free agent on the market. Um. So, like, if you can lock him in and then get one of those free agents. To, I don't know. To me, there's no real difference. I know you're giving up assets to get him as opposed to signing him. But if you can lock in AD and one of those free agents immediately, I highly doubt AD is going to leave LA in a year with another superstar by his side. And then you're just kind of like set for what, half a decade? Right. So then I guess the next question is, do you think that they can actually put together a package that would, would rival a Celtics offer? No. I mean, it depends. If the Celtics put something together like Al Horford plus Jason Tatum and a couple of first-round picks, nobody's touching that. Nobody. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. If the Knicks get the number one pick, that would be interesting. <laughs> Zion might actually top that. But outside of that, I don't think the Celtics are going to top that. I don't think the Clips are going to top that. But also, the past history here with the Celtics is that they don't offer their full um, boatload of assets for anybody. Now, AD is not just anybody, and AD is the guy they've been waiting on. But also, it's one thing to promise that now – when you're really desperate for the Pelicans to retain AD. It's another thing to actually offer when AD becomes available. All of a sudden, there's less leverage. But uh, I think the Clippers definitely made themselves more liquid in terms of their assets, and I think they got more flexibility. Um, and then the last one we want to touch on is just generally, you know, the Kings. Shout out to the Kings. Look, picking up Harrison Barnes um, is not necessarily this huge home run move. Um, it didn't cost them too much. They got rid of Zach Randolph's contract, and uh, um, they got – you know, rid of Justin Jackson, who I think is, oh, you know, decent, but, you know, whatever, not one of their main core young pieces. Um, 
And all of a sudden, you got Harrison Barnes, and the Kings are also in a playoff race for the first time since 2006. They got a young core. Barnes, I don't know if he fits the young core perfectly, but he's going to be useful for that push. And I just want to see the Kings make a real push for the playoffs. Like, can you ma- can you imagine if the Kings make the playoffs, but LeBron doesn't? Like, is, that's a real actual possibility right now at this moment. Man, look look at just, like, recent performances. Um the Lakers are in disarray. Now you can argue yeah. they're going to magically pull it together now that all those young guys know they're not leaving. But again, like the Kings have been the more consistent team all season. They obviously don't have LeBron James. But still, the Clippers seem to have punted on the playoff race. Right. Like it's there for the taking for Sacramento. And I think it's awesome that, you know, they've got this 13 year playoff drought. Um, they had this opportunity to seize the day and they did it, but they did it smartly and wisely. Like they got better today in getting in adding Harrison Barnes, but they didn't, you know, mortgage any of tomorrow. They still have all the guys from their young core that are making this happen. Darren Fox and Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley, Willie Cauley-Stein. They still, they didn't give up any future picks since they, you know, already don't have one this year. Like, they're still well-positioned for the future, um, but now they're just better today, too. And then Woj is already saying that, you know, Barnes and the Kings might end up, Barnes could opt out of that, whatever it is, $25 million player option and just sign a new deal with Sacramento, and all of a sudden he can be part of this future with them. I actually think they'd be better off if he just opted in. I don't think that signing Barnes to a long-term deal is such a good idea for them. But, I mean, as a short-term play, I like the move, even though I do like Justin Jackson. Um, it certainly you know makes the Kings better and, and gives them a better chance at making the playoffs. I just think it's wild, man. Imagine saying at the start of the season that the Lakers were going to be in a battle for the final Western Conference playoff spot with the Kings. That yeah. is mind-boggling, man. Like, I just, I can't believe we ended up here. Uh, you know, for both of those squads, like, the Kings have just so far exceeded expectations, and the Lakers obviously are in complete disarray. Yeah. This, so this is, um, I went back in the beginning of the season, I did, like, uh, 30 teams, 30 questions season preview, and I had the Kings in last in the West. And then, because I didn't believe in any part of their young core, and they also don't, didn't have their own pick this year. Uh, I finished that preview by saying you literally can't even tell Kings fans there's nowhere to go but up because clearly there's a deeper lever layer of hell awaiting. Like that's the terms in which we were speaking about the Kings. What like four months ago? Now they're one of the like most exciting young teams in the league. Yeah, I, I'm really happy for Kings fans. I really am. And how did this happen? I'm happy for Vivek as well, their owner, because he <laughs> loves Harrison Barnes. He had a tweet like three years ago that was like, my birthday was on a seventh. Steph Curry picked seventh. Harrison Barnes, seventh. Seven's my lucky number. And I'm like, I can't believe you put Harrison Barnes in that company. But uh, there you go. He got Harrison Barnes. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll run through the losers at the trade deadline and then quickly touch over the buyout candidates. Hey, listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We're moving into the losers after the trade deadline, the number one um, team that comes to mind is the Los Angeles Lakers who let me just run through the last couple hours for Los Angeles Lakers alright they started the day dreaming about Anthony Davis right what happened the Pelicans didn't even pick up the phone they had a very short conversation apparently it wasn't even long enough to make a Domino's order that's how short the conversation was alright so the, the Pelicans just didn't want to engage with the Lakers whatsoever so no Anthony Davis and they ended it now by clearing up a, a like a spot on the roster, but they, I don't, for some reason they gave up Zubac, which I, I I don't understand at all. Zubac has been really promising, um, but they they gave up Zubac to clear up a roster spot, and one of those guys that could be signed with the roster spot is Carmelo Anthony. Like that's that's the type of day the Lakers had, right? You went from Anthony Davis to Carmelo Anthony. You're getting the wrong Anthony in this case. Um, in between, you got LeBron saying, oh, man, I don't feel that much pressure to win, whatever. Which, you know, I, I understand, but if you're a Lakers fan, you're probably not thrilled to hear that. And also, oh, by the way, LeVar Ball is now fully 
just out here talking about how much Lonzo is better than LeBron. And obviously everyone thinks of him as a clown at this point and it's no one takes him seriously, but it's still kind of a headache that uh, hasn't really existed so far, right? LeVar's been very quiet, letting the Lakers cook, and then all of a sudden Lonzo gets into trade rumors and bam, LeVar back on Undisputed talking about LeBron's like free throw percentage and things like that. Like, I don't know, man. The Lakers are a mess and uh, they're 500 right now. They're out of the playoff race. They're behind the Kings. Um, they got to like repair team chemistry and, and you know, they don't have Anthony Davis. They don't have Bradley Beal. They don't have anybody. They just have LeBron who is unhappy with his teammates and I don't know. <laughs> what do you do? I'm sure his teammates Not are unhappy with him. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that unless they, again, just like pull together in the wake of not getting traded and completely change their performance level, like there's a chance their package of young guys is going to look even less appealing in a few months when the season's over. Like if they keep spiraling, you know, out of control here and the Lakers miss the playoffs, forget not competing with, uh, with the Celtics, like at that point, I don't even know if the Lakers package would compete with like Clippers, as we discussed, or the Knicks, you know, depending on how they do in the lottery. Like things can get pretty bad here for the Lakers pretty quickly. And, you know, Ivica Zubac, who was supposed to be one of those pieces that was going to help yeah. put their offer for Davis over the top, was instead traded for Mike Muscala. Yeah, so, let's, let's talk about so, the win now, Booze. Those were <laughs> the, the Mike Muscala move made no sense. Yeah. Um, that happened. While other teams were loading up, the Lakers traded one of their young guys for Mike Scott. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a certain amount of sense. Like, they're obviously, you know, trying to veer away from their strategy at the start of the season, which was to surround LeBron with non-shooting ball handlers. And now they're clearly trying to surround him with shooters again, which they obviously should have been doing in the first place. Uh, and, you know, Muscala can be a good guy, I guess, to play off of him because he does have some stretch to his game. But, like, it is... It's pretty dire. And, like... Look, I th- I just think they kind of overplayed their hand here, right? You, you know, LeBron, Clutch Sports, Anthony Davis. I think they probably overestimated how the Pelicans would view those young players. I think they underestimated how stubborn the Pelicans were probably going to be about this. And, you know, it, they end up in a situation where these young players are getting put into these trade rumors, getting dragged through the mud getting these vicious chants from Pacers fans the other night, LeBron sitting at the end of the bench, not interacting with them. I mean, I don't know how you rebuild trust in that locker room at this point when it's probably clear to all of those guys that somewhere behind the scenes, LeBron was helping to orchestrate this thing to try and get them traded. Um, I, I think that's going to be hard to overcome. I just, I don't know where they go from here, um, but it's a mess. Yeah, it really is a mess. Um, I, I did like that they got uh, Reggie Bullock, though. Um, True. That was a decent move because uh, as much as I like Svi Mihalik, um, I just think that they need immediate help this year to even make the playoffs. And Bullock is a guy who could honestly potentially start for this team. Bullock has been really good playing off dribble handoffs with Blake Griffin. And honestly, the guy who is most stylistically similar to how Blake Griffin plays right now is LeBron. LeBron obviously way better and more fluid and everything like that. But... I don't see why they can't run the same actions. And I think in terms of getting a shooter, Bullock has been one of the best shooters in the NBA the last two years. It's been really quiet, and no one's really paid attention in Detroit. But I think that's a nice pickup for them. The problem there is also that Bullock is going to be a free agent. And so you're basically just giving up Svi, who I think is a pretty promising shooter um, for a rental. But honestly, at this point, everybody's a rental because LeBron's on the clock. And... um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's not it's not good for the Lakers. It just really isn't. Either LeBron has to really exert himself post injury to get the Lakers to the playoffs, or the Lakers don't even make the playoffs at all, and everyone's unhappy. Like it, it just there's not much of an upside there. Speaking of a team where no one's happy, the Washington Wizards. I mean, a lot has happened with the Wizards. I know we talk about the Wizards a lot in this podcast, but some things can't be ignored. Starting with John Wall, who apparently tore his Achilles while walking around in his house. All right, so he's out for twelve months. Um, he also apparently had an infection in the previous surgery that he had, and that's where they f- – I don't know. It's, it's just an issue. But, the, you know, after Wall and his injury thing came out, the Wizards decided, okay, fine, we'll pivot. Markeith Morris was traded for Wes Johnson, and Otto Porter was traded for, um, you know, Portis and uh, Parker. Like, 
if you're the Wizards right now, and also, by the way, you didn't even fully rebuild because you didn't trade Ariza or even Jeff Green, who, who's had a nice year to this point and could have, you know, plausibly returned somebody. Cash, I'll start with you because you love talking about the Wizards, man. Like, does it get any sadder for the Wizards? It is unbelievable that, like, every time we talk about a new Wizards scandal, bad move, like, whatever you want to call it, it really does seem like, all right, okay, we're done talking about them just because, like, it can't get any more wizards than this it can't get where and it does it always somehow gets worse this is un friggin leaveable like yeah okay if you just look at it from the vantage point of they wanted to dodge the tax they thought auto was overpaid and whatever and like they're taking a flyer on on a decent young player and bobby porter's like okay i see all that but auto porter is like a good player a very good player and he's in the upper echelon of three and d guys even in a kind of a down year this year he still fills that role really nicely um and if you're gonna move him for the sake of saving money then like at least i don't know like i get somewhat of a better haul like this this honestly looked kind of like a pure salary dump just with the intrigue of portis but i think portis is an rfa anyway isn't he like yeah like it just so much of this makes little sense and then Again, okay, so you're dumping Otto and Marquis to get under the tax, and it seems like you're stripping this team down because you know you're, you're going to also be bad for a while, but then you don't even consider moving Beal for probably a package that could have really jump-started a rebuild. You don't trade Ariza, and then there's reports that like you're actually interested in bringing Ariza back next year. Like, just nothing about this team makes sense, ever. And once again, it's just clear that there's no coherent there's plan. There's no plan, none. <laughs> you know, and... and like, you know, initially it was like Ted Leonsis was saying, we're not going to tank. We're not going to trade Otto Porter. But then they, they, then they, were, just said that then they were swayed by like Bobby Portis. And Bobby Portis is fine. You know, like he could be a really solid backup big, I think, for, for a good team. But like he's going into restricted free agency. Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune reported that he's looking for $16 million annually on his next deal, which I don't think the market is going to pay him that much. But... Again, you know, that might end up being a difficult negotiation and you might just have to end up letting him walk. And I was saying kind of in the lead up to the deadline, I thought that Otto Porter would stay put because I just didn't think that they were going to find a deal that was good enough to convince them to trade him. And they didn't. Like, this is not a good enough deal. <laughs> they should not have traded him for this return. Um, and, you know, to piggyback on what cash was saying it's like after doing that the least they could do is then turn around and strip down the rest of the roster and and i don't think they needed to trade beal but like to not trade ariza who by all accounts there was a ton of interest in him around the league and jeff green i'm sure there was interest in him as well like to keep those guys after trading porter for the return that they got just makes no sense and um you know it's totally characteristic of, of how this front office is operated it's like uh, from one thing to the next, it's hard to piece it together and figure out what the plan is. Also, like based on the fact that they're letting Ernie Grunfeld still make these moves and non-moves, and the fact that now like Wall is out, and I don't know, like knowing how passive Ted Leonsis is with the Wizards, like maybe that can convince him to be like, well, you know, Ernie's been dealt a tough hand. I, I'm not even kidding at this point for my own like narrative. I legit think Ernie might actually be back. Yeah. Why would he not? Why would he not? You know, <laughs> he probably got a secret extension because he got a reason back. Honestly, a reason actually been really good for the Wizards. I could see why they want to resign him, but I don't know. I feel bad for Jamal, by the way. And no one deserves that. No, definitely not. It's it's absolutely brutal. And, and the fact that he like went to Scott Brooks and said, "I'm sorry, Coach." Like that, it's just heartbreaking. Right. You know what I mean? It's not his fault. Also, didn't he but, have the surgery that he had initially, basically to prevent against a ruptured Achilles? I think that so. Is correct. Yes. So, like, that's just, the most wizard thing ever. That's just vicious, man. And for a guy who has relied so much on speed and athleticism throughout his career, like, I, I think it's safe to assume that he's never going to be the same. Um, it's rough for him. It's rough for the Wizards. Like, it's rough all around. Uh, another team that it's rough for is the Charlotte Hornets, who thought they had Marcus All in a package that involved, I think, Bismack Biombo, Frank Kaminsky. And a first-round pick, right? It looked like that was a done deal. Gasol had packed his bags. You know, the Memphis fans gave him a standing ovation, things like that, when he came to the bench. Um, 
And really, the only sticking point was how much protection was going to be on a first-round pick that was going to go from the Hornets to Memphis. And then all of a sudden, they lost him to a package that involves JV, CJ Miles, who is basically dead salary at this point, and DeLon Wright, who's a restricted free agent, and a 2024 second-round pick that, I mean, I mean, I don't even know, man. If you're the Hornets, like, you need to get Kemba some help. You're actually kind of in the playoff race. Um and you had Gasol within your grasp, and you just couldn't get it done. And it's just it's just unfortunate, really. You feel bad for Hornets fans. You really do, because they really needed someone in the front court that could rejuvenate them. And now you're getting to the point where Kaminsky is rumored to be a buyout candidate. <laughs> Who, by the way, you turned down four first-round picks. Oh, my God. To go get Kaminsky in the first place. I, I don't know. I mean... Southeast Division is, man, like... It is a disaster. Nobody in that nobody in that conference it should make the playoffs, man. Is like a grungy dive bar after last call, washroom. Like that's what the Southeast Division is. I predicted before the season that the Wizards would win that division with a thirty-eight and forty-four record, and I'm like not that far off. You might have been optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Hornets are currently leading that division at twenty-six and twenty-eight. So. Oh my god! Yeah, that's gonna be one hell of a banner to hang at season's end. <laughs> I, I was I, gonna say I'm not holding. I, I'm not entirely ruling out the Atlanta Hawks making a late push here, okay? Because the Hawks have been real nice recently. And by nice, I mean 500. They, they, yeah, they've been like competitive for like two months. They've also, been playing they, as well as anyone in that division lately. Yeah. They, uh, the Hornet when Kemba like resigns with the Hornets, and we're all confused and yelled free Kemba. He uh, he's gonna like mention it in his press conference that you know like they took a big step this season by winning the division. I hope not. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting to compare. I mean, Charlotte is the kind of team that just couldn't afford to do what the Clippers did because of their market, like because they have to maintain fan interest because Kemba is so beloved by their fans and. I understand all that, but like that, I feel like for a lot of reasons is a move that they probably should have thought about making, you know, the Clippers. And again, like they can afford to do it because they play in LA and they have the promise of signing free agents potentially down the road. But like, you know, the the Clippers decided that they didn't want to be an eight seed and they wanted to think a little bit bigger. And, you know, the Hornets are desperately clinging to, low-rung playoff spot right now and are probably going to max out Kemba in the offseason and this is how teams get stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity like I don't see what means that team has of improving its station and this would have been an opportunity for them to get proactive and flip Kemba now and actually you know kickstart an earnest rebuild but um, obviously they're not going to do that and I feel bad I feel bad for them I feel bad for Kemba I just don't I don't see that situation improving anytime soon. Um, also, uh, All-Star Weekend in Charlotte coming up. Right. Like, it's Kemba's, it's going to be like his weekend in a way, in, in certain um, ways, but he's also going to get some questions. You just know it. Like, it, oh, yeah. it's going it, to, the specter of his free agency is now going to hang over this, this weekend. Yeah, especially now that the Knicks cleared up all that cap room. Um, Pelicans. I would say they're a loser in this case. Uh, for a couple reasons. One, I mean, I, I don't know the same mark is going to be there for AD um, in the offseason as it would be right now for this season. I think there are teams that would have been interested in getting AD for two playoff runs as compared to one. Um, but also, it does kind of feel like, look, first off, like they didn't, they couldn't get a first for Nikola Meritage, right? No, they got the next best thing was four seconds. So I'm, that's okay. But, I mean... I don't know, man. What about Julius Randle? I thought they're going to move him. I thought they're going to move Etwan Moore. It's just a little bit confusing in terms of what the Pelicans are right now, and uh, I don't know. I guess they're just in a holding pattern, and it just really remains to be seen whether or not they play Anthony Davis going forward, or if they hold him out for the rest of the season. That's not a lot to look forward to. No, and I think you know. It, look, is it funny for like? a very social media friendly league like the NBA that the Pelicans might have done this just to stick it to another team. Absolutely. It's great. It's great content for us. Um, 
And if you're not a Lakers fan, it's even better. But at the end of the day, like, the Pelicans are still on the butt end of the joke because they're the small market team whose franchise player has already demanded his way out of town. Like, there's no way to spin this from the Pelicans' perspective as a winner. Like, sure, maybe they, they'll get a better package from Boston now in the summer, hopefully. But, like, it, they're still losing Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis still requested out with a year and a half left in his contract. It's a catastrophe for them. And I just, like, I, I can't even squint to find the positives for it. Well, I think we should probably just hold off on calling them a winner or a loser until we see what happens in the offseason. And That's so fair. much can change between now and then. But if they if this ends with them getting a Celtics package centered around Jason Tatum, I think that's a win, given the circumstances that they were put in. Uh, you know, this was out of their control for the most part. Like, they had Anthony Davis under contract for the rest of this season and all of next season. And he put them in an impossible position. And I think, you know, to Cash's point about them ultimately being the butt of the joke, well, I mean, they kind of got to have the last laugh, at least for this year. And I feel like that's got to be worth something. Like, <laughs> there's got to be some satisfaction to be had in the fact that they may have ultimately helped destroy the team that tried to destroy them. Like... I, I don't know whether Dell Demps was, you know, evil masterminding this whole thing, knowing the whole time that he wasn't going to trade AD to the Lakers and just stringing them along until they offered everybody on their team and LeBron alienated all of his teammates. I don't know if he had all of that in mind. I think at the end of the day, if Dell Demps liked the package and the prospects that the Lakers were offering, he would have taken it. And I think that's just what it comes down to at the end of the day, right? All right, and finally, uh, we have the Blazers here. Wolfond, why are the Blazers a loser here? Because I, I don't think the Blazers are necessarily the team that comes to mind necessarily because they didn't really make any moves, but maybe that's the reason they're a loser here. I just think they had a chance to – I mean, I've been saying it. You know that I thought they had a chance to get into the mix for Anthony Davis. I mean, it's possible the Pelicans were just hell-bent on waiting one way or another. Mm -hmm. But I also think, you know, the Blazers were rumored to be – interested in Nikola Mirotic I think he would have been a great fit there and you know the Bucks managed to get him without putting a first on the table I think if you know I think it would have been worth the Blazers while to put a protected first out there I think that would have gotten it done and he would um, be nice in their offense because they badly need another shooter totally to stretch look, the front court a little bit and also just look at what happened to them last year when Lillard and McCollum got trapped and they had to yeah. give up the ball like how nice would it be to have a guy like Mirotic as a res, uh, uh, as a release valve to help kind of keep things flowing. And look, Nurkic has been a lot better this season, so I don't think they'll run into quite the same issues that they did last year. But he would have been a great fit. I think Otto Porter would have been a great fit. I think there are a lot of guys out there who they could have gone after rather than Rodney Hood and Scal Labissier, which is what they ended up with. And I'm mostly just disappointed because I think the Blazers are really good. And I think, you know, with a significant upgrade, they could have gotten into the conference finals mix mm -hmm. uh i would have really liked to have seen them do that and considering the fact that you know they're gonna get into the same territory that the pelicans are in with anthony davis right now you know those conversations are going to start to happen about damian lillard he has been fiercely loyal to portland thus far he has said yeah. all the right things about wanting to be there wanting to win a championship there basically saying even if I don't win a championship here, like it's not worth it to you know sell out my team and compromise um, myself and my feelings toward the city and this market just to win a championship. So like that's obviously what you love to hear if you're a Blazers fan. But I don't know. I mean, we've heard players say that before, only to change their mind when they sense an opportunity to actually go and win a ring. The Blazers weren't going to win a ring this season, but I think they had a chance to at least push for something more. Um, and so I kind of hoped you know, even if it wasn't Anthony Davis, that they would go out and get another major piece. Right. And the team I always compare the Blazers to is the Raptors because you had these two guards in the backcourt and they were a nice foundation, but it was sort of about what's surrounding them. And like, you look at what the Raptors have done in the last just year alone. They, they, they bring in a guy, um, 
they bring in a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you bring in Danny Green, you bring in Marcus Saul, even going back another year after that, you know, you bring in Serge Ibaka and then you you have prospects like OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam when they emerge as vital pieces. Fred Van Vliet becomes an undrafted uh, free agent and he becomes uh, like a six man of the year candidate at least for a year. Up the line, right? It becomes a trade asset at some point that they are able to flip into Gasol, and like they're able to like shape the team in response to the playoff failures. Whereas the Blazers just are always stuck in the same kind of same place. And if you're a Blazers fan, you can't be that excited going into the playoffs. You kind of know how this thing ends, right? So that's just disappointing. But um, maybe the Blazers add someone on the buyout market. Uh, they've had an interest in a guy like Carmelo Anthony, for example, in the past. And Carmelo is probably the top of the buyout guys. Um, not in terms of just usefulness, but in terms of, um, you know, just most prominent uh, names on this bio market. But I'll run through some of the names. Carmelo, Wayne Ellington, uh, Robin Lopez, Enos Cantor, uh, Wes Matthews, Frank Kaminsky, and who knows, potentially something along the lines of Jeremy Lin or Dwayne Dedman, depending on what happens with the Hawks. Um, and it's just the direction they want to go in. But uh, um Cash, is there anyone on that list that stands out to you as someone we should be looking out for? I mean, kind of all of them, honestly. Not all to... of them? Carmelo, but, yeah. really? <laughs> you don't you don't think it's worth monitoring where Carmelo ends up? Like, even if you don't think he's productive, like, it's still a story. We should still be, like, looking out for where these guys land. All right, fair enough. I just think it's kind of funny, to be honest. The, the jokes that come with Carmelo will kind of outweigh any production he'll actually give you, but... Um, anyone? Okay, so then maybe I'll rephrase it. Then, who do you think on this list has the potential to make the biggest impact to a contending team? Um, um, I mean, okay, so the Hawks reportedly are not going to buy out Jeremy Lin or Dwayne Dedman. Okay, I would have picked those guys. Yes, but I mean, first of all, I'm shocked that they couldn't trade those guys. This is two yeah. years in a row where they had, you know, two expiring veterans who you would assume there was a lot of interest in around the league that they weren't able to get anything for. And obviously we saw how that played out with Bellinelli and Ilyasova last year. They ended up making a huge impact for a second-round playoff team, uh, but apparently not going to buy out Lynn and Dedman. So, I mean, I think Matthews, who has um, apparently signaled his intent to sign with Indiana. So That's a bit of a surprise. I don't think it's that big of a surprise because I feel like that's a place where he can guarantee himself a pretty solid role in a lot of minutes. That's true. And uh, he does yeah. have to look ahead to his next contract as well. My concern with that is, uh, and I think that's obviously exactly why he's going there. He knows the minutes and the role will be there with Oladipo out. But, like, I feel like Wes Matthews in, um, like, more of a top option kind of role or, like, one of your top options isn't necessarily good. Like, I think Wes Matthews would have been perfect for a team that just, like, needs some shooting. And he would have ex- have had to accept maybe a bit of a lesser role. Like, I don't know. I yeah, no, I, I agree. Don't... I agree with that. I mean, the Pacers really need like shot creation, and Matthews right. doesn't really give them that. But occasionally, he thinks he can, and then he kind of <laughs> over dribbles, and it never really ends all that well. So, I definitely think he's better in like a spot up role. But um, I still think it's a good pickup for them, just because uh, he's still a very solid defender. They thrive on defense, um, you know, and he can kind of help them create turnovers. I don't know how much he'll help their half court offense, but. Um, I, I still think he's probably the best guy on the buyout market. So, Yeah, I, I really am interested to see where Wayne Ellington lands just because he had that great year last year. The guy is a really good three-point shooter on sometimes insane volume. Um, and I just think if he lands with a contender, he's one of those guys that after a quiet season where he fell out of a rotation, all of a sudden could hit like eight threes in a playoff game that turns a series or something. Philly. It's just weird. I mean, th- there's been a lot of talk about Ellington, but this is a guy who can't even get minutes in Miami's rotation right now. So Yeah, that's a bit strange to me because it's not like Miami's shooting the lights out or anything. You would think that Ellington would be – but I also think that, you know, maybe he fits in different types of offenses. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like, it's like Marco Bellinelli. He wasn't having a great year in Atlanta, but then all of a sudden he goes to Philadelphia where there's so much handoff action and – there's so much movement and cutting that all of a sudden you could really use a shooter like that. And um, I think Ellington in Philadelphia would be actually a pretty terrifying prospect for the rest of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think you can make a difference. And, I mean, again, like, Mello, I, I don't think he's very useful in an NBA court anymore. But 
it's going to be a story wherever he lands and a bit of a media circus too. Is there any chance that he doesn't end up on the Lakers? Y- yes. If LeBron is actually intending to compete for a playoff spot, then yeah, probably don't add Carmelo, man. Yeah, I'm going to say there's a greater than 0% chance he ends up elsewhere. Yeah. Slightly slightly greater than 0%. Uh, if, no, if I was betting, I would that would be the team that I would pick at this point in time. I just think it makes too much sense. Like, not necessarily basketball sense, but just in terms of like, LeBron's on an island right mm-hmm. now yeah. in that locker room. I feel like he might really just want to have Melo there to yeah. help him sort of smooth things out or at least just feel less alone. Another scapegoat for LeBron. <laughs> so he could recreate that Dwayne Wade picture from last year. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> anyway. Well, I, th- I think that does it for the trade deadline. Um, obviously, a ton of action took place. You can uh, read all about it on the Score app. We have the NBA... Uh, trade deadline tracker that's actually really useful if you just need a recap after you know this whole thing went down you just want to scroll through and see all the moves it's all right there in the app and uh, we have our winners and losers uh, in written form uh, on the app along with trade grades for some of the more significant moves and um, yeah I think that does it for the coverage for today for Wolfon and for Cash and myself we're signing off Pound the Rock (laughs) 